Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 203. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. We are pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Hey, I just wanted to uh, remind everybody that our second site graph.nerd-journey.com is now up and live. That's the knowledge graph and linked notes version of our main pages uh, show notes that we developed to make it easier to explore our episodes, guests, topics, and uh, have like slightly better linking and discoverability. So always interested in hearing people's uh, feedback on that and uh, would love for you to visit that. So please do so. Yeah, after you smash that subscribe button, go ahead and visit the Knowledge Graph site. Oh, man. Yeah, that reminds me that we need to get onto YouTube. Is that a 2023 uh, task? Uh, You know what? We haven't done a 2023 goals episode. Don't ruin it. So go there yet. It's still 2022. We're recording this, so we can't can't let that out of the bag yet. Somebody's going to be like, what are you guys doing? Why aren't you doing this? That's that's very true. Save that for later. (laughs) Well, today's topic, then, let's get into it. We are starting a new series of discussions, kind of revisiting the fundamentals of career progression. We early on in our podcasting address the issue of job changes. And so we want to revisit that after 200 additional episodes and kind of underline the foundational stuff that you need to do on a regular basis to be ready for career progression, whether it's a promotion at your current position, uh, maybe a change or promotion or, you know, area of responsibility shift within your current organization or leaving your organization and joining a new one, joining a new one. So with that in mind, today's episode is going to be on resumes. We are also planning on talking in the future about job searches and preparing for interviews, like how to be prepared for an interview. And we're trying to like maybe uh, line up somebody to talk about evaluating job offers as well. So um, if we can make that happen, we will. At the very least, let's talk about the times we've mentioned resumes before. I think initially episode four, we talked about resume writing tips. Episode 53, we had a discussion about keeping your resume updated. And then didn't we talk to Mike Burkhardt about resumes as well? We did. He talked about the challenges he had keeping his resume updated and getting it formatted for the right type of job he wanted in episode 64. Your position has been eliminated, part one. Okay, well, let's address um, the, the structure for the show. Talk about the, the foundations. You know, maybe if you understand this, you don't even need to listen to the rest of the episode, although you should. The first piece of advice we have is no fancy formatting. 
Second piece of advice is aim for a single page with an optional second page of additional job experience if you need it. Third is make sure you have your contact info as the uh, header for the uh, entire resume. You also want to have, uh, number four, a skills section with your specialized job skills there. And five, the balance of the resume, you should uh, have your job experiences in reverse chronological order with quantified accomplishments featuring your job skills. Now, that's our opinion, of course, and there's no guarantees that just having a format like that is going to get you the job. But let's back up a little bit and talk about why we advocate for doing your resume this way. What's the whole goal of this resume? Well, in any given hiring situation, the hiring manager has a problem that they're trying to solve by hiring someone. Maybe somebody's left a position, maybe their team has grown and now they're short staffed and they need somebody with specific skills to kind of come in. There's some kind of situation that they need to hire somebody to solve a problem. Your goal should be to articulate that you're a very strong possibility to solving that problem and doing that as soon as possible in the resume, in the top third, preferably. And ultimately, you want to get to the next step of the process, of the interviewing process, of the hiring process, whatever that is, you want that person who's a gatekeeper to the next step of the process to look at your resume and go, oh yeah, from this resume, I really think that we should proceed with this person. Yeah. And I think that in order to be able to solve a hiring manager's problem, you have to understand and know what it is, which means read the job description carefully and thoroughly and multiple times and then read it again. Absolutely. And see if you've addressed the problem statements. Yeah. Yeah. So let's address some of these points in the order that I mentioned. First of all, no fancy formatting. So for the most part with medium to large size companies, and even in some smaller companies, this is a, this resume is not going to be read by human being first. It's going into an applicant tracking system. So one of the things you want to do is make the resume as easily machine readable as possible. So you want it to be scanned cleanly and you want the optical character recognition software to uh, recognize the, the type that you printed out in. If this is a, a physical resume, you want it scanned as quickly as possible. If, if it's a, you know, if you're entering this in, you know, via a form, then this isn't as much of a problem. But again, that physical resume, single column, as much as possible, a simple, easily scannable uh, font, something that maybe distinguishes between lowercase l, uh, the number one and uh, capital I, for example. I have some example fonts that do that. Tahoma and Verdana are usually uh, available, um, and there's free versions of those if you need to install a font. Um, so, you know, always, you know, I'm kind of thinking of that physical, like, resume, which is an old school thing to think about, but oftentimes you might be going to a job fair or, you know, doing something that way um, as opposed to PDF. If it's PDF, then, you know, it's a little bit easier, but I, I still don't think that a fancy format makes any sense. You know, you just want everything to be where the person expects it to be and, you know, where they can easily find it. If you're doing, you know, two columns and, you know, you're inserting a picture of yourself, you know, none of that stuff is helping you get 
to your goal, which is articulating that you're a strong possible solution to the hiring manager's problem. Yeah. And a lot of times when you upload your document, electronic version of your resume, this applicant tracking system will read through it, as you said, and then spit it out into a format that you can see and approve right. before you click submit. So just double proofread that section and make sure everything came through the way you wrote it. Uh, you know, it may take the bullets out. I'm not sure each each system is different, but I have seen situations where you submit, it reads what you have, plops it in a form and says, are you good with this? Did we import correctly? Anything you need to add? Right. For example, you know, if you have multiple positions at a single company, you know, if you've had that over time, how is that getting imported by the by the software? Is it as multiple jobs, you know, one after the other? Is it all mashed together and not, you know, is it not clearly articulating that you've had multiple positions? Those are the kinds of things that you need to make sure are being clear while you're actually submitting. Next point, one or two pages. You know, generally you want to be able to articulate your job experience with one page, but with complex technical jobs, like the ones that we're talking about, the ones that we have and have had in the past, you know, it might be important to include more detail of projects and accomplishments and those kinds of things to showcase the skills that you are trying to articulate. So, you know, two pages is acceptable. I think when you start to go on to a third page, that means your editing skills are questionable. When you have an entire second page, you need to edit, you know, what it is that you're submitting correctly. So they're getting what they need in completely in that second page. It's questionable whether they're going to get to that second page. So you need to really, <laughs> you know, they're certainly not going to get to a third page. Yeah, it's sort of like the aggregate resume is laundry detergent that you're going to add water to in the interview. Yes, right. You're never going to give them enough detail where they're just going to hire you from the resume. And that is generally what seems to be happening when people have a resume that goes on and on and on. It's like they want so much detail and so much information that they imagine somebody's going to read through this and go, well, you're just perfect for this job and maybe we should just hire you straight away. That's just probably not going to happen. So next, a skills section. I call it a skills section, but you know, it could be skills and in, in software or skills and tools. Really what we're trying to articulate here are your specialized job skills and specialized job experiences. A lot of times, those are the things that are listed in the required section of a job posting. So one of the things that you should be doing is looking at a bunch of job postings for the type of position that you want and, and stretch a little, right? Maybe a super senior version of the type of job that you want or something that's, you know, maybe related. But again, importantly, go look at some sample job postings and look at their required skills or required experiences section. You know, the required experiences are going to be, you know, sometimes at least X years of Y. That's not important to copy over, although it is important to take note, you know, what they're looking for experience in. What is important is, you know, they'll say things like, uh, okay, I'll give some examples. Experience with Unix or Linux system administration or enterprise architecture design experience. Those are two things that you can say might appear in a technical uh, job listing as required. 
So if you have those skills, but you don't have it in your resume, then it is important to put it into a skills section. And again, philosophically speaking, what we're trying to do is pack your skills section with the skills that you have that answer the question, does this applicant have the ability to X and Y and Z? So you want to be able to say, yes, I can do X, I can do Y, I have done Z, right up in your skills section. You don't wanna to put too much detail about it, it's just that you have the skill. The detail comes where you've applied it in the next section, your job experience section. So let's transition to that. Last point on the skill section. Yeah, before. Skill section mm -hmm. is a good place to put certifications that would be relevant to the requirements that you need. Yes, skills and certifications would be another good title for this if you have some industry certifications. So let's get to the job experience section then. What you want here is, again, reverse chronological order, the positions that you've had. If you had several positions at a single organization, then maybe you put some sub bullets or you list them as separate jobs. You want quantified accomplishments under each position. And you want accomplishments which address the skills that are up in your skills section. So if somebody is looking for Unix Linux system administration, your skills section has basically acted as a, a table of contents or an index. Does this person have this skill? Yes. Then they look down in the, in the job experience section to see more detail of how you've applied that skill. So for our example, you might say something like, oversaw the lifecycle management of 300 production Debian Linux VMs, as well as the dev test and deployment pipeline of those machines. That is a quantified accomplishment. It was 300 production Debian Linux VMs and the whole lifecycle management of them. The other example was enterprise architecture design. So maybe a quantified entry under a specific job might say, five years experience applying TOGAF principles into the design of a 250 business user, 10,000 customer user e-commerce environment. In that environment, we met our uh, service level objectives for three years in a row. So I'm quantifying, I'm featuring, you know, the use of the skills that I had in my skills section, and I'm, and I'm discussing the scale at which I use those, right, and how well I did it. We met all of our service level objectives. Again, try using the, those quantifiable business metrics, not just technical metrics. So you can say, for example, uh, you designed and oversaw the deployment of a new disaster recovery process, which cut down time by six days year over year, saving approximately $1 million in lost revenue. So you cut down, down time by six days that might be a technical metric, it might be a business metric, but saving approximately a million dollars in lost revenue is definitely a business metric, and you gave both. Yeah, I like that. Another way to reframe or state what, what we've said here is, I have learned about something called an impact report, and it has three categories, an activity, an outcome, and evidence. So the activity is the thing that you did. And in the example John just gave, I designed and oversaw the deployment of a new DR process. The outcome was it cut downtime. And the evidence of that is metrics, numbers, million dollars in lost revenue. I like that format. I have 
sometimes built PowerPoints using that format that maps the activity, outcome, and evidence together. But you can do that in one bullet point on your resume, just as the as the examples we've given here. Yeah, separated by commas or by um, semicolons, or it's just one entry, right? Here's the activity, here's the outcome, and here's the evidence of it. I really like that format. And that evidence can also speak to the scale of the environment that you've worked in. If you need to work yeah. in a a 99.999% uptime e-commerce support role that is supporting, I don't know, 3 million customers worldwide, that's probably a pretty big environment. So if you can show your scalability metrics and what you've touched, administered, designed, operated, that will help someone understand, okay, they can probably think at this scale or, well... They've done it at a smaller scale, but maybe we can grow them into scaling their thinking. Yeah, yeah. I also like the idea of scaling up and scaling down. And when you scale down, you know, you're saying, oh, I can do it at X scale, but I can also do it at one-fifth of X scale. And one of the metrics that you would do and highlight there is you'd say, and I met my budget objectives at this, you know, one-fifth of X scale, which were different from the five times that. <laughs> yeah. So that's a great point. Now that we've kind of talked about those areas, I kind of just glossed over contact info as a header because that was a single point And I don't think that we need to expand upon that other than that maybe goes to fancy formatting. You don't want that to be taking up tons and tons of space when really what you want to be doing is answering the question, can this person solve the hiring manager's problem? The next point that I want to address is really about keeping your current accomplishments in this resume format because doing this all at once from scratch can be very, very difficult. But if you're constantly updating your resume and making incremental changes to it, like you get a project done and then you say, oh, how would I you know, add that to my resume? Then you get to keep that up to date, right? So every time you embark on a new project, think about the resume point that you actually want to put in your resume at the successful outcome of the project, right? And write that down because that can serve as a kind of a project goal as well. We had some budgetary constraints and we had these challenges and this business objective, you know, by doing X, Y, and Z, we accomplished A, B, and C, right? That's, that's kind of the goal that you want it to be. Now, um, you know, obviously as the project progresses, you can revisit that statement, you know, in the Maybe the timeline changes, maybe the scope changes, maybe the budget changes, you know, maybe a bunch of things change, but you revisit and revise the statement and keep it current because that's what you need to do for the project anyway. Successful project outcome needs to have the current outcome statement up to date. <laughs> it's something you're going to be doing for that project anyway. And then save it to your resume, you know, save it as a, you know, hey, this is a in, in progress resume point. You know, make sure you're adding, you know, milestones um, and rewards in the in the uh, awards that you are getting, um, at, you know, as part of what you're doing and highlighting in that resume, because maybe that emphasizes a specific uh, part of your technical ability or, you know, if you win, you know, product or project manager of the year, then it at your organization, then it highlights your project management skill. You won't probably want to, as you accomplish these things, move that same uh, resume point to LinkedIn from your current resume to your current LinkedIn, you know, page. Like 
as much as you can. You, you know, there's some things that you just can't maybe disclose publicly or you need to obfuscate, you know, maybe exactly what you're working on or the budget or, or some things. So that probably goes for in your resume as well. But, you know, it is an immediate public uh, post. So just be careful that you're not exposing business confidential information via your resume. Yeah. And you want you want LinkedIn to be updated with something so there's not a huge gap between the resume and and what's on LinkedIn. Somebody is probably going to go check you out on LinkedIn just to see yeah. what's there. Does it match what's on the resume? And I'm also going to go so far as to say when you're preparing the resume and keeping track of these projects, if there's anything that is publicly available proof of work, like a script you put on GitHub that was sanitized that you actually used as part of a project, or a video you made, a podcast you co-host, a blog series you wrote that shows expertise in a specific area, put those links on your resume. You know, link specific words in the resume to that so that if you submit the resume with active links and the applicant tracking system just keeps the document and it gets passed to the hiring manager, they can click right on it. You have given them the gift of being able to go and get, see your work with one click. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. That's what I would do if it was me. Yeah, have that proof of work in there. Absolutely. Okay, kind of final point here. Edit your resume for each job application. So this presupposes, or maybe the <laughs> the basic idea here, is that you have like an everything resume, uh, what I call a kitchen sink resume. Every single point that's relevant to any possible job that you might be applying for is in that resume. It probably matches for the most point, most part, what you have on LinkedIn everything that you've done in a specific position. Maybe you add more wordiness and more detail on LinkedIn uh, that isn't quite in the resume because you have the space to do that, but you know, maybe not. But when you apply for a specific job, you need to reorganize the skill section and which accomplishments um, and you're highlighting in each position to reflect the responsibilities and requirements that are in the job listing. So you need to actually read the job listing. I would even encourage you to save a copy of it because what if, you know, it goes away after you apply, you know, or they take it down because they have enough people on the, in the hiring pipeline. Um, you, you want to be able to refer back to it in it. They're saying things like, here's the required skills and here are the nice to haves. And here are the, the day-to-day -day responsibilities. Well, you want the things that you've done in the past that match those things to be highlighted. So the things that are not relevant, you might want to edit out. Not entire positions, but just specific projects or accomplishments which are not relevant to that specific job that you're applying for. That way you can still keep the resume brief without making it too long. Because if your skills section is three quarters of the first page, well, that's probably not what you want. Yeah, it is indeed not what you want. That might be the only time that I would say, hey, use two columns, you know, have like a, a section with your skills that is two columns so that you can kind of use up a bunch of that white space. But yes, it's, you know, it's critically important here to, to tune your resume, what you are submitting for the job. They are giving you a cheat sheet for what it is that they're looking for. So you should submit something that answers the question, 
yes, I can do those things that you're looking for and make it very, very obvious, very, very early that you can, right? So they're just kind of listing things. Hey, these are the skills that I need, you know, the applicant needs to have, and these are the nice to haves. Um, and these are the day-to-day responsibilities. If, as long as you are saying in your resume, I have those skills in your skill section, and then those day-to-day responsibilities, I've done something like that in your job experience. And then with more details about how you've applied those skills, I mean, that's kind of perfect. Then there's no wasted words on the page uh, when it comes to your resume. Every single line of your resume is answering what it is that they're looking for. That is ideally what you want out of that resume. And remember, these bullet points that are customized for each application, that experience, think relatable experience. There may be something that you're doing and volunteering and you have a relatable skill from that volunteering, I guess you call it opportunity or commitment that you have that actually applies to the job that you are wanting. So you should put that on the resume. Okay, you're a you're a hairstylist and you want to go into customer service. Well, you think hairstylists aren't good at customer service? I managed the client life cycle and retained a full customer booking of, of 30 customers with five-star reviews and positioned and tailored customized set of hair care products for each client. Yeah, probably did marketing material, you know, marketing. Yeah. You probably had a marketing plan that you had to develop and execute. Right. So if there's a marketing element to the job that you're applying for, you know, you can explicitly say that here, you know, I came up with this marketing strategy. I oversaw the execution of that strategy by maybe some third parties, or I did all the execution myself. You know, these are the kinds of things that you can put into your resume, not to like buff it up, but it just reflects reality. That is what you did. And if you're applying to other positions that are looking for skills, that you actually have, then you should put that in so they know about those skills. Right. And they're not all technical skills either. Absolutely. You know, a lot of soft skills are really important. So, you know, working with a cross-functional team, what that means is you're working with a team that comes from different management silos and you don't have management power over any of them, but you kept the team going. Right. So if that's something that you've done, you need to put that in and have a story about it if you ever get asked about it. Right. Because that's maybe another thing that we need to explicitly say. Everything that you write down here, you need to have a story about because everything is fair game to be asked about. So if somebody says, hey, tell me about these uh, 300 production Debian lifecycle or Debian uh, Linux VMs, like what? What part of lifecycle management did you actually need to, you know, handle for that? And you need to be able to explain, okay, well, a hundred of those, you know, were, you know, for, for this project, a hundred were for this other project, a hundred for this other project. And they had different lifecycle requirements and they had different uptime requirements. And, you know, this is how I handled that. You know, that's where you get to expand on what you've kind of condensed down to one line of accomplishment. You actually want to have them ask about that so that you can tell them more. Yeah, that's a great point. Don't put it on there if you don't think you're going to be ready to expound on it should the need arise. If you can't give more detail than a couple blurbs, then maybe you don't 
need to put it there. Absolutely. Or you need to write down a larger story so that you will have it ready. Right. Not on the resume, but like you need to develop that story on the side. Exactly. Like with, um, you know, maybe with, uh, like a coach or a job coach or, or something like that. Right. Because every single thing that you're putting down, again, you're tuning for the requirements that they put in their job listing and they put the requirements that were super important to them. You know, they, maybe they had to even edit down what those job requirements were. Right. And even the nice to haves, maybe they had a much longer list, you know, that, you know, included some soft skills and, and other things that they were just like, listen, we just, it's too long as it is. So they need to know through the interview process, like, like they're going to ask you about is like, well, you said life cycle management. That's like critically important to us. So tell us about life cycle management that you've done. Give us the details. We're wondering if it matches the type of environment that we have or, you know, what you've done can be modified you know, to match the environment that we have, or do you not actually have these life cycle management skills, right? That's, that's the follow-up that you're going to get asked in these interviews. Yeah. And I would say, don't be afraid to ask for help because it is pretty tough sometimes to be mindful of all the relatable experience you have. Sometimes a friend, peer, or even if you have to hire a professional resume writer, and there's no shame in that, can see something, a skill you have that you just didn't think to put on the resume. And that's important. Absolutely. There can be even a inter an interview process, right, where uh, not in the job interview, but like in the resume writing process, somebody's interviewing you and asking you, have you ever done this? Like, do you have any marketing skills? When you, when you're in this position, did you ever have to, you know, market your team that you were a manager of, or did you have to market yourself? Or did you have to market the product that you were working on? Did you have to market the skills that you had so that, you know, you got, you know, retained, you know, year over year. That's, that's what you want a third party to be able to do. That's, that's the, a valuable third party, um, can, can kind of quiz you on those things. And, uh, I'm not ashamed to say that I've had to have people do that for me. Yes, same. To kind of tease out tease out relatable experience. Mm -hmm. Sometimes especially in the moment when you're when you're doing it, you're so in your head about it that you sometimes miss the forest for the trees to to say, "Oh, wait, you know, I've done marketing type of task before, you know, I can't say that I've, you know, have the experience of a chief marketing officer, but like probably you know, I have done some marketing functions through X, Y, and Z. To all you perfectionists out there, because, well, I'm with you. It's harder if you're a perfectionist. It will never be perfect. Get to good enough so that you can answer the questions about requirements. And sometimes it has to be done in a hurry to make sure you're in the candidate pool. So you do the best you can, and you have to be okay with what you've developed to submit. Yeah, absolutely. You need to do the best in the time period that you have. Yes. Perfection is a sliding scale. In the time frame that I have, this was as perfect as I could get it, mm -hmm. right? And and in the process of doing this, if you're starting from a blank page, or even if you're not, there are two processes, right? We've talked about this before when it comes to writing. There's the writing, getting something down, and then the editing. Editing is a separate process from writing. Writing is getting something down so that you later can go back and go, oh, I didn't word that quite correctly, or this isn't clear, or it doesn't quite make sense, or I used the wrong word here, 
you know, that's the editing process. Don't edit as you're writing. Writing means getting everything down, going in back and editing needs to happen later. Easier said than done. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying that I'm perfect at this, but on this podcast, we've had people talk about a process where they write something down and it is incorrect. And when they read it back, their brain can interpret this incorrect thing that they've written as what they meant to write down. That's Phil Monk. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want to like call out Phil Monk, you know, on that specifically, but it is something that absolutely happens to me, right? So it happens to everybody. Well, this is what I meant when I'm in the context and I wrote down that thing, I know what I meant. And so when I read that, I know it gets interpreted in my brain as what I meant. So the editing process needs to happen far enough away from when you're aware of the context of what you're writing the thing. So you've lost that context and you just read the thing and say, I'm evaluating it not by what I meant to write, but what I actually wrote, right? And that takes time away from that initial writing. So hopefully that's all helpful and, and that makes sense. Makes sense to me. Awesome. Well, let's maybe do a recap. We talked about um, kind of some of the past resume episodes that we've done. We talked about, you know, we did an overview of the foundations and then we kind of broke down each point about, you know, fancy formatting, uh, one or two pages, a skills section, job experience section, how to keep your accomplishments in resume format and thus hopefully make it easier to keep your resume up to, up to date and then editing your resume for each job application. I think that's it, but uh, do you have anything else before we get out of here? Nope. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. Thanks a lot, Nick. That also reminds me that doing this came from some uh, listener uh, feedback. So um, much appreciated. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at Journeyman for Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore. Signing off. Adios. <laughs>